Happy New Year. It's good to see you this morning. It's wonderful to be able to start a new year gathering in church. It will take us 11 years before we have this opportunity again. Normally there's a five or six year gap between January 1st falling on a new year, or falling on a Sunday rather, but with leap year every once in a while that gap stretches out to 11 and we will have 11 years before January 1st again lands on a Sunday. Lord willing, if he does not return between now and then, I assume that all of us who are able will again be in church, gathered for worship 11 years from now, rejoicing in our Savior. Traditionally, when you start a new year, it's a time when we think about what changes we want to make in life. We, we examine our, our lives, where we're at at this point, we look over the past year and we determine what challenges we want to give ourselves to, to change things. Healthier lifestyle is often one of those things, along with sometimes learning a new skill or, or starting up a new hobby. The, the beginning of the year is this time that we recommit ourselves to, to things that, that we consider are important, that have been pushed aside by the busyness of life. Things that we want to, to make sure that they don't keep slipping out of, of our grasp. We want them to be in our attention this coming year. Well, this morning I want to challenge us in one particular area, an area that should be a focus for all of us as Christians. Philippians 4.4 tells us, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Very simple verse, isn't it? Is your life characterized by joy? Examine yourself this morning. Look back over the last year. Is your life characterized by joy? Do you find yourself rejoicing frequently? How about always? Can you say that you always rejoice? Think over the last year. Has there been any grumbling over the last year? Have you always rejoiced? That is, after all, what Paul commands us. I want to encourage us this morning in this area of rejoicing. I want to encourage us from three verses in the, the book of Ephesians. Often our, our lack of joy comes because in, in the midst of our circumstances, we cannot see a reason for joy. We, we don't recognize why there should be joy in our life at this point in time. We know that we ought to rejoice. We know that verse. We know that we ought to rejoice, but, but we don't feel joy. We know that we should rejoice, but our motivation is lacking. My goal today is to give you several reasons, seven to be exact, seven reasons why we can rejoice regardless of our circumstances. The, the idea that I want to impress on all of us, because I believe this morning I'm looking at a group of believers, that the idea that I want to impress is that we should commit to making this a year of rejoicing. A year of rejoicing. We should commit to making this a year of rejoicing. There are a lot of places I could turn in, in Scripture to give us a challenge in this regard this morning. God talks about joy in a lot of places. He talks about truth throughout the entire Scripture. I could simply have stuck in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 there, where we're commanded to rejoice. But as you can see, I chose three verses in Ephesians. You saw it on the first screen. I selected three verses 
Three verses that I believe provide seven reasons why 2023 can be a year of rejoicing. If you're in Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4 begins the the second half of Paul's letter. The book of Ephesians splits right at chapter 4, and Paul has spent three chapters celebrating the, the church. God created the church through Christ's work. He united Jews and Gentiles into one body, and he, he displays his wisdom. God displays his manifold wisdom by, by raising spiritually dead people to spiritual life. Well, chapter 4 transitions from, from the facts about what God has done into the implications of what that work has in our lives. For those who experience it, those who have this salvation that brings them into the church, there should be... A, a change. There should be something that happens. So Paul writes in, in the first three verses of chapter 4, Therefore I, a prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It's significant to note there that, that Paul's in prison as, as he's writing this. He's in a Roman prison. And, and his concern clearly is not comfort, but, but rather his concern is the reputation of God's church. He wants to ensure that believers are living out the glorious truths that he's just talked about. We, we are to conduct ourselves in a way that, that will enhance the reputation of God's church. The church is the centerpiece of God's program. It's what God is doing. It's the focal point of, of his glory on display at this present time. Paul's concern is that believers make the church attractive. That, that believers reflect the glory of God working within us. Now, in the verses we're going to look at this morning, we will not find words, joy, rejoicing, thanksgiving. We won't find any such word in these verses. Instead, what we'll find are seven things, seven items that denote what we have in common. As we think about these seven things, as we understand the implications of what these seven items mean for our lives, we cannot help but respond with joy. Our joy is central really, to our ability to display God. And as we see these things that, that will cause joy in our life, we will respond with that joy, displaying God's glory. We are to make the church attractive. We are to reflect the, the glory of God around us. It is part of our walking worthy of our calling. The world needs to see that we are excited about what God is doing. The world needs to see us rejoicing. We cannot go out in the world as a bunch of grumbling gusses and expect the world to want what we have. These seven items are reasons that we can rejoice in 2023, regardless of what the year might bring in the way of circumstances. Let's read our specific text this morning, beginning at verse 4 of Ephesians 4. There is one body... In one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Here's our seven reasons. 
The, the first item, the first reason that we're given that allows us to rejoice is we can rejoice in the body of Christ. We can rejoice in the body of Christ. There is one body. We know this is a reference to the body of Christ. Paul has already explained that back in chapter 2, verse 16, and again in chapter 3, verse 6, he's introduced us to this idea of one body, this body of Christ. The, the body of Christ, sometimes we also call the universal church. It's the, the group that, that's composed of every genuine believer from, from the, the day of Pentecost, when the church began, until Christ returns for the rapture. Every believer is part of the one body of Christ, the, the universal church. Every genuine believer, that is. None of us are automatically part of the body of Christ. We're not born into the body of Christ. We're not naturally there. We are added to the body of Christ at a specific moment in time, the, the moment that we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, that is when we become part of the body of Christ. If you have never accepted Jesus as your Savior, you're not part of the body. You need to come to that point. If you need to understand what it means to accept Jesus as Savior, to recognize that you're a sinner in need of, of His saving grace that He alone can offer, talk to me. Make this a year that you find out what that means so you can rejoice. Look around this morning, though. I know all of you have heard the gospel message many times. So I'm making the assumption that you're here this morning as a believer. If not, you know you're not. And you need to deal with that. What I say from this point on only applies to those who have Christ as Savior. Accepting Jesus is what places us into the body of Christ. And there is nothing that can ever remove us from that body once we're there. Christ himself said in in John 10, verse 28, that I give life to them and no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. From the moment that we accept Jesus as Savior, we are part of the body of Christ. Knowing that, knowing that we're part of the body of Christ, that should bring us joy. The, the body, the, the universal church, is also known as the bride of Christ. In, in chapter 5, verse 27 of Ephesians, Paul tells us that Christ will take this body and he will present this body to himself, the bride of Christ, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. That is our privilege. That is what we have coming. That is what God is doing because we are part of the body of Christ. We're guaranteed that we're part of the group that will have every stain of sin fully eliminated. We're part of the group that can joyfully worship God directly, standing in his holy presence. This is a reason to rejoice. When when you think about this, when you think about this great future, being able to stand before the holy God rejoicing, are you overwhelmed with joy? You did nothing to earn this future. Yet you're assured of it. Nothing that happens in this year can take this away from you. If you've accepted Jesus as Savior, you're part of the body of Christ. While we await this glorious future, while we await Christ to gather us before him, God gives us the local church 
so that we can have a taste of what's to come. The local church is a manifestation of the universal church in a particular time and a particular place. It gives us a taste of what it's like. I'm sure we've all walked through stores or past shops where they're handing out food samples. They're not doing that out of the goodness of their heart. In spite of the fact that, that I know college kids like to go through Sam's Club and, and sample to make that their meal, that's not the purpose. Their purpose of handing out samples is so that that taste will cause us to want more. So that we will buy what they're offering. Every Sunday, we get a taste of the joy that will be ours for eternity. No matter how bad the week might seem, we come together on Sunday and we're reminded that we are part of the body of Christ. We can rejoice. We can joyfully magnify our Savior because of this first truth. We can rejoice in the body of Christ. That's reason number one. We should commit to making this year a year of rejoicing. Number two, we can rejoice in the indwelling spirit. One spirit, the indwelling spirit. This is a reference to the Holy Spirit, the, the third member of the triune God. It's natural that the Holy Spirit would be listed here because he is the member of the Godhead who is active in forming the one body that we just talked about. He's the member of the Godhead who has that function. The Holy Spirit was sent by Jesus with this new function after Christ ascended following his resurrection. He sent the Holy Spirit to form the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit is active in the life of every believer, maintaining the spiritual life. That's his indwelling work. He does that for every believer throughout time. He convicts us of sin. He motivates us to obey God's word. But he also, in this dispensation, in the church age, uniquely now, he unites us into a spiritual body. He gives us a spiritual unity that generates the body of Christ. Because of this indwelling work of the Holy Spirit, we are all united to one another. We're united through this union that he gives us with Christ. I mention this truth nearly every month as we partake of the Lord's Supper together. I don't normally mention necessarily that the Holy Spirit is the one, though, who is actively working in doing this. He is the one who's creating this unity. He is the one who, who unites us as brothers and sisters in Christ. He, he creates a, a love within us for one another. He's the one who, who moves our, our spirits as we gather together to, to worship God in, in unity and harmony. He imparts this desire for peace and, and union within us. He's doing all this as part of his indwelling work. We all have the same spirit within us. We all have, therefore, the same desire to please our Savior, the same desire to build up our Savior's church to strengthen the body. As we go into this new year, we may experience all kinds of different things individually. Some of us will experience times of great joy. There, there will be things like births of babies and, and weddings of family members. Uh, others, undoubtedly, will experience times of sorrow. There will be loss of loved ones and, and disappointments from friends. Different experiences will come, yet none of these experiences to us individually affect 
the indwelling Spirit's work that unites us. The indwelling Spirit is a reason for all of us to rejoice this year. We can rejoice in the indwelling Spirit. We should commit to making this a year of rejoicing. Number three, we can rejoice in our eternal hope. Our eternal hope. Paul says, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. This, this thought is still connected to verse 1 of chapter 4 that I read at the beginning, where we're told to, to walk in a manner worthy of our calling, by which we've been called. And now he says, we've been called in one hope of our calling. He's referring to the special work of the Spirit that, that calls us to salvation, and he's connecting that to this future that we have that's secured by the spirit and that future gives us an eternal hope we've just finished christmas i'm sure that probably all the kids in our church and and quite possibly some of the adults had things that they hoped were under the christmas tree now christmas has passed we've opened all those presents and we know whether that hope was fulfilled or not some of the hopes came true and some probably did not. Well, the hope that Paul refers to in verse 4 is not like that hope for a Christmas present. This is an entirely different type of hope that he's referring to. This is a certain hope, an, an eager anticipation of a most definitely coming type of hope. Paul's using the word hope to refer to a certain future reality, a, a future that, that is motivating what we do now. In a sense, all the items listed in verse 4 are future-pointed. They're, they're looking at, at what's coming rather than, than what is present. It's directing our gaze out there to the, the future. Be, because of our salvation, now he's pointing to this hope. We will spend an eternity in heaven with God. We, we no longer need to fear standing before the judgment seat of God, wondering what will happen when we stand before our Creator. Because we know We're not going to be judged based on our own actions. In fact, we know and rejoice that we will not be judged based on our own actions because our actions contain sinful actions where we cannot stand before holy God. Instead, we know we will be judged based on the righteousness of our Savior. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, who saves us from judgment. This is our future hope. Christ's great work of redemption. At this moment, as you're sitting here, none of us know if we will stand before God prior to the end of 2023. It is possible that our Lord will return before this year completes. It's possible that our life might end before this year completes. Those are real possibilities. The hope of our calling is certain, and we can rejoice in that. We can rejoice in our eternal hope. We should commit to making this a year of rejoicing. Moving into verse 5, we we have our, our fourth reason. Reason number four. We can rejoice in our loving Lord. Verse 5 revolves around our, our Lord, the second member of the Godhead. We, we should thank God for our one Lord. As our Savior 
Christ is the, the focus of our devotion. He is the center of our attention. He is what we gather around, the, the person we gather around as we worship. Our salvation was, was purchased by his death on the cross. As we discussed during the, the past few weeks in our short little series there in Matthew, Jesus was able to purchase our salvation because he was fully God and fully man. He was fully God and that meant he could live a sinless life and his death was, was infinitely worthy. But he was fully man, meaning he could die in place of other men and women. He could substitute his life for humans. This is why he is the focus of our devotion. He is the one who saves us. We seek to joyfully magnify him. That is our mission, our purpose. Jesus is our one Lord. That means he is also then the focus of our allegiance. He's not just our Savior, he is our Lord. That title says he is our master, he is our commander. This is true individually of us as Christians. We all have him as our Lord. But in the context here of Ephesians, Paul is specifically saying this is also true of us collectively as a church. The one body has one Lord. Jesus Christ is the master of the church. Most of you have probably had various sorts of bosses during your your times of life. Some of your, your bosses you've really enjoyed working for because you knew that they cared about you. They, they were pulling for you to do their best, and, and they were willing to help as needed. They, they were quick to recognize your contributions, and you enjoyed working for them. Other bosses were probably less enjoyable because they were about promoting themselves. You, you knew that if anything went wrong, they'd quickly throw you under the bus, but they would also try to take credit for anything that went well, even if it was your efforts that caused it to go well. You had different kinds of bosses. Well, our Lord, our Master, our Commander, He is infinitely better than the best boss. He died for us. By His actions, giving His life for us, He has demonstrated His love. We know that he is a loving Lord. We can rejoice in him. We can rejoice in our loving Lord. That's reason number four. Reason number four that that we should commit to making this year a year of rejoicing. Number five, we can rejoice in our shared faith. Our shared faith. God has revealed us himself to us in scripture. That's why we read scripture together when we gather. That's why we study it. He's revealed himself to us through scripture and that gives us a shared body of truth. It's this truth that we believe. It's this truth that gives us our faith. We have faith in what we have in this truth. Now we have our faith in common because we believe the truth together. It's something that we all believe in together. This is a little bit like a sporting event. I maybe shouldn't use Michigan as an example after the, the game yesterday. I know some of you are probably mourning rather than rejoicing. And I'm telling you, you need rejoice always. But I'll use them anyway. 100,000 and, well, 110,000 people average a Michigan home football game at the big house. They lead the, the sports scene in, in college attendance. 
the vast majority of these people, when they come there, are Michigan fans, decked out in the maize and blue. During the rest of these, their lives, these 110,000 people, or at least the vast majority of them, they, that all cheer for Michigan, they have nothing in common. Yet the moment they arrive there at the big house, they are united in their passion for the Wolverines. They share faith in the value of their team. We, too, come together around a shared faith. We believe in the same Savior. We believe that he has revealed himself to us through his word. We understand the core components of what he has said in his word in the same way. Our, our passion, our joy, our, our excitement all unites around the shared faith when we gather together Sunday after Sunday. In this new year, we will come together. Lord willing, we will come together Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And he will never disappoint us in our shared faith. He's already risen from the dead. We can rally around our shared faith with great joy. We can rejoice in our shared faith. We should commit to making this a year of rejoicing. The, the last two words of verse 5, they, they give us reason number 6. Reason number 6, we can rejoice in our baptism. In our baptism. There, there's debate among scholars in this verse. Is this verse referring to spirit baptism or water baptism? Spirit baptism refers to something that happens the moment of our salvation. The, the moment that we accept Christ as Savior, we are baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. It's that one body we talk about, the work of the Spirit that we talked about. It's called baptizing us into the body of Christ in Scripture. We can certainly rejoice in that baptism of the Spirit. It's part of our salvation, of foundation to, to everything that we have in common. It's the focus of our unchanging joy. Water baptism is the public demonstration of what the Spirit has done. Water baptism is publicly declaring that we have been baptized into the body of Christ by the Spirit. It's the demonstration that displays our unity of Christ to others. It's the first step of obedience that, that we find listed in the New Testament for new believers. It's proper that, that we rejoice in this common experience that we have. I'm not sure that we actually need to distinguish in this verse between spirit baptism and water baptism. In the early church, those two events were closely related. They were often considered part of the same thing. A person was saved, baptized by the Spirit, and as soon as possible sought to display through the public act of water baptism that truth. The two, spirit baptism and water baptism, they were often considered two aspects of one event, baptism. From, from our perspective, what we can think about is that both these aspects are, are one-time events that, as believers, are in our past. Unaf they are in our past, so they are unaffected by any circumstance that comes up in the present. As we go through this year, regardless of what happens, our baptism doesn't change. We can look to the theological reality that the Spirit has baptized us, and rejoice. We can recall the day of our water baptism when we gave public testimony to what Christ has done and rejoice. Our baptism, both aspects, is another of these shared things that, that we have that we can rejoice 
in this coming year. We can rejoice in our baptism as we commit to making this a year of rejoicing. Finally, in in verse 6, we have our seventh reason. Reason number seven, why we can rejoice throughout 2023. We can rejoice in our sovereign God. In our sovereign God. As we move into verse 6, the the structure changes slightly from the previous two verses that have just been clicking off as one, one, one. It changes as as the focus moves to the final member of the Godhead, the, the first member of the triune God, God the Father. Paul lists one God and Father of all. God is the Father of all. That, that, that does not mean that God is the Father of all living persons. He's not saying that everyone is, every living person is saved by God. It, what it means is that every person who is saved through faith in Jesus Christ is saved by the power and authority of God the Father. The, the addition of, of Father there, it, it places the focus on God as, as the author of our salvation, the one who initiated the, the plan that Jesus executed that produced our salvation. He is our one God and Father. Yet, who is this one God? Paul tells us some things about him. He is the God who is over all. He has this position of authority over all creation. He is over every other being that exists. He is the one who is over all. He is also the God who is through all. This indicates that everything that happens in this created universe that he oversees, that he governs, he is involved with. Everything that happens is part of his will and purpose. He's involved with all the details of his creation, ensuring that his plan is accomplished through the exercise of his power and his authority through all. And he is the God who is in all. Not only is he involved in all things, he is intimately involved. He's not just the boss sitting up there high and mighty issuing orders. He is intimately involved. He is infinitely present every point in, in the universe, engaged in every detail of the operation. Specifically, in the context Paul's developed here in Ephesians, we know that God lovingly is working in the lives of his children to display his glory through the church. His ultimate purpose in our salvation is that we proclaim His glory through the church to His creation. We can rejoice that He is doing this in us. We are part of His big purpose plan. The God who is over all and through all and in all, this is the sovereign God of our universe. The one true and living God. He is our God So think about the implications, again, that this would have for the coming year. We have no idea what circumstances we may find ourselves in. I've mentioned that many times. I don't think any of us would debate that. We do know that each and every one of those circumstances, down to the most minute detail, is part of God's plan for our lives. We know that that we will not stumble into any trial by accident. When we find ourselves in a hard time, we didn't just happen to end up there. We didn't miss God's plan for our life and land in the wrong place. We are there by God's plan. Nor will we receive any day of ease by happenstance. We won't 
be smart enough and wise enough and good enough to to create a, a day of ease and comfort. We will be there because God's plan brings us there. What we will experience this year, regardless of what it is, only happens because our sovereign God brings it into our lives. Yet not only is God sovereign, He is also loving. He is our Father. He loved us enough to send His own Son to die for us. He is our Father. Whatever comes, every circumstance, no matter how difficult it may seem, whatever comes will help us mature in our faith as our God uses our experiences for His glory. This is reason to rejoice. The seventh reason. We can rejoice in our sovereign God. We should commit to making this a year of rejoicing. That is the central idea that I want us to lock into on this first day of the year as we begin moving into this year. We should commit to making this a year of rejoicing. It's a new year. It is a time to make commitments. I want to encourage all of us to make this commitment, to commit to rejoicing. We can rejoice in our sovereign God. We can rejoice in all that he does for us. We can commit to making this a year of rejoicing, regardless of what it brings. It really doesn't matter this morning because we've seen these seven reasons to rejoice, regardless of what the year brings. We can rejoice because, assuming that we know Jesus is Savior, <coughs> these seven things that we've seen this morning will remain unchanged. Nothing that happens this year will change these at all. And they're all reasons to rejoice. One, we can rejoice in the body of Christ. Two, we can rejoice in the indwelling spirit. Three, we can rejoice in our eternal hope. Four, we can rejoice in our loving Lord. Five, we can rejoice in our shared faith. Six, we can rejoice in our baptism. Seven, we can rejoice in our sovereign God. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Paul, the one who is in prison as he writes Ephesians, wrote that as well. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. We have great reasons to rejoice throughout this coming year. We should commit ourselves to rejoicing. We should commit to making this a year of rejoicing. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that we can begin this year gathering together with other believers for worship. What a joy it is to be able to gather and praise our God, celebrate our Savior, and encourage one another. Father, I do ask that you would help all of us to live out lives that are worthy of our calling, lives filled with joy, showing our rejoicing spirit to those around us, so that our Savior would be attractive to those who need him. So that we would live in a manner worthy, recognizing the great gifts that we've received. And not being ungrateful, but grateful. Father, may we be men and women who spend this year rejoicing in our God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.